you know, what we've been trying to do uh, this last, about a year, um, we have been walking, but there's a lot of breaks we've had in that time. Um, we have, we've been walking through this gospel, um, trying to do it as the disciples did. Really, this was our intention over the last year, to look, go through the gospel of Mark, section by section, and here's been my, my objective, what I believe God wanted me to try to create as best as possible by being honest to his word, trying to experience what the disciples experienced. Because the way Jesus discipled, disciple is a process, understand it's a verb, he discipled them, the way he discipled the disciples, the way he trained them, was that he just let them walk with him. And they experienced what he experienced. They saw um, the things that he did. And so what we tried to do is we tried to walk through the Gospel of Mark, which is a very action-packed Gospel. We tried to kind of put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples and see what they saw and hear what they heard as they followed Jesus from town to town. And they experienced his great teachings. And they experienced all the miracles that he did. And as well as they experienced his death. They experienced just devastation because of they thought he would do one thing, they did something different. And if you walk with Jesus for any length of time, you're going to find out that's a normal part of Christianity. You think it's going to go one way and it goes another, but God's got a plan in it. They experienced that, and they also experienced, ultimately, his resurrection power. You know, that we, we came to last Sunday, um, that, that Pastor Chris preached about. And so we come to the very end of this journey today. But today... Um, we're going to end this part of our journey as the disciples ended it. You see, um, they didn't end the journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark um, with an ending. But they, end, they ended the Gospel of Mark with a beginning. And I'll explain what I mean because you say it doesn't make any sense, but it really is. It makes sense. They did not end with an ending, but they ended with a beginning. Because you see, Gospels, Mark's Gospel records that Jesus' last interaction with his disciples was not a tearful goodbye, but rather a commissioning into service. And a promise to them that if they would do what he told them to do, that then he would then be with them and he would work through them as they took over the responsibility for this new fledgling church that he had just created. That's what he was doing for three years. He was creating the church. He knew his plan. He was going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And that he was going to give them the responsibility now to, to run his church. He was going to be with them he, by his spirit. He was going to fill them and empower them and work through them. But he was going to give them the responsibility for this church that he had just created. And so the last encounter with, with Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is this new beginning. It's just this beginning where he, where he launches them out in a commissioning. He says, this is what I want you to do. So let's grab our Bibles. Turn to the last chapter of the book of Mark. Again, your Bible, I'll just fall open there now. Mark chapter 16. Starting in verse 14 all the way to the end. And it says, afterward, Mark 16, 14, afterward... He appeared, just after the resurrection, remember, he appeared to the eleven, that's the eleven disciples, minus Judas, because he's betrayed them, um, the eleven themselves, as they were reclining at the table. And he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Little little plug there. If you if you believed, Jesus expects you to be baptized. 
He who believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who disbelieves shall be condemned. And these signs shall accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by signs that followed. And they promptly reported all these instructions to Peter and his companions. And after that, Jesus himself went out through them from east to west, the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. And that's how the Gospel of Mark ends, with the commissioning. Ends with him saying, you've been with me a long time. Now I've got something for you to do. And I want us today, in our final um, experience with the Gospel of Mark, I want us to look at this and look at the significance of these final words that Jesus said to the eleven that day. Because these are Jesus' last words, his last instructions to his disciples that he had been investing into for over three years. We've only invested into about a year. (laughs) They took three to walk through this period of time. And this is the last face-to-face conversation that Jesus was going to have with these men. He was going to be with them by the Spirit. But the last time he would sit down and he would talk with them face-to-face... And he loved them so much and he wanted to give them something of great value. He wanted to tell them the most important thing in this last encounter. And we can be certain of something because this is the last encounter. We can be certain that the words that he spoke were the most important words that he had to say to them. And we can be certain then that the words that he spoke are to be for you and me the most important words that he could speak to us. Because they are his final words that he had face to face with the twelve, with the disciples. And friends, now if we come to Christ, we are his disciples. So the, 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 the commissioning, the final words that he has to say for all disciples of all times. And the question is then, what are his last words? What have we really looked at as we've read this last final se- section of, of the Gospel of Mark? And what we've said is they were really nothing more than a commissioning into service. That's what he said. The last thing he said to his, to his eleven where I've got something for you to do. You see, Jesus' last interaction with his church while on earth was to commission his followers to do something, to serve him. He gave them instructions about what he wanted them to do during the rest of the days they had while they were on earth. He said, I have something to do. And you say, why are you belaboring this point today? Because a lot of times we don't get that. We look at all the scriptures and we forget that the, the thing he really leaves us with when he, when he ascended is he said, I have a job for my disciples to do. And sometimes that gets lost because we think of all the stuff we want and all the stuff we want to receive. But he says of you and me, I have something for you to accomplish while you live on earth. Have you ever wondered what your purpose is in life? All the time. That's the right answer, because we all do. Have you ever sat and said, you know, this starts when we're, when we're teenagers generally, and we start to say, why do I exist? What's my purpose? And then we go through life, and generally we get to middle age, and we have this thing they call the midlife crisis. You know what the midlife crisis really is? We look back and we say, I've lived over half of my life, and we look forward and say, I've only got a little less than half of it to live yet, and you go, really, this is what it's all about? 
And we ask ourselves this question, what's it all about? We ask ourselves a question, what is my purpose in life? You say, is my purpose really just to get up every day and keep going to work? Is my purpose really just to provide and to earn money? Is my purpose really for, you know, just to take care of children? And to, Is that my purpose? And we ask those questions of ourselves, at least we, most people ask those questions. A thinking person asks those questions. And we say, what is my real purpose in life? Well, friends, I want you to understand something. This is the answer to your question. Jesus answered the most important question that people would ask in their entire lives about what is their purpose Right here in his parting words with the eleven that day, the answer that that Jesus says, I have something for you to do. I have the most important thing for you to do. Once you've met me as Savior and Lord, I have a job for you to do. When we were um, coming out of world missions, we... We uh, didn't know we were going to resign. We came from Cambodia back to America, and we went to a counseling center. It's a debriefing center, basically, for missionaries. And the, the head counselor said, what are you here for? And I said, we need to make a decision. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to do next. We're having some family issues, and we're not positive we can stay in world missions, And although we're completely committed to it. And we said, what, what do we do? And his name was Jack, the finest counselor I've ever met in my life. And Jack kept saying something to me that made me furious. I was angry because he kept saying, he said, Mark, 90, you already know 95% of what the will of God is. And I'm saying, no, Jack, you don't get it. I don't, I don't want to know what to do. He goes, you know what to do. I said, no, I don't know what to do. Do I resign or don't? He said, that you're asking the wrong question. He said, that's not important. He said, 95% of the will of God you already know. And I kept, remember, I said there, I go, this guy's nuts. I just want to know what to do. And he would say, you know what to do. You know, same thing. 95, you already know 95% of the will of God for your life. And I'd say, no, I don't. And finally, after a number of weeks, I got it. This is what I got, is that what to do wasn't not, had very little to do with where I lived. If life circumstances worked out in such a way that through the family and through the place we were at that it just wasn't going to work to stay, that wasn't the important part. The important part is that God, God, God had a job for us to do. And the where wasn't really the important part, the fact, the fact that doing it was the important part. And he was right, I had 95% of it. 5% was where you did it. 95% is what are you really called to do? And friends, what your purpose in life is, is defined right here. What you're supposed to do with the last half of your life, as well as the first half, when you're middle-aged, you're saying, is this really all it? If all your life has been consumed with just earning money and doing a career or whatever, guess what? There's more. There's more. God's got a higher purpose for us. And this is it. It's to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's the, that's the answer that Jack was trying to get me to understand. That, Mark, you really know it. It's not about where. It's not even about how. It's about what. And when we look at this today, this, this last, these last words of Jesus to the, to the eleven, we see his commissioning to us, his reason for being statement for you and me. And as I look at this, I see that there's really three components to this, to this thing that I want us as a church to get today. Because I think if we get our mind around this and our hands around this, and we get, we get active involved in it, number one, it's going to make you, you're going to have a greater sense of purpose than you've ever had in your life. Number two, God's going to use us to change the world. And those are things that we want for ours. So there's some, there's some components here to this great commission that I think I, that God wants us to understand today that are beyond just the surface. 
And there's three things. Number one, I want us to understand the what of the commission that he's given to us. We're going to talk about that first. And then I want us to understand, because he defines it, the why of the commission. Why does he tell us to do this? Why is this the main purpose? But then he's going to talk about the wow of the commission, the, the power part of the Great Commission. And so those three things together really are going to show us what he's asked us to do and are going to show us how great it can be as we do it. So let's talk, let's, let's talk about that today in, the great, in, this, in this commissioning service. Let's start with the what of Jesus' commission. And the question is, what has he instructed his followers to do? We focus a lot on being. And I, I think you don't ever try to do until you be. I mean, you've got to be the right person before you do. But there's a point in time where we've got to get something done. And I think as a, as a church... We oftentimes like to settle on just deal. We always look inward. We're thinking about, well, what am I like? But he's saying, okay, but there's something I have you to do. So what does what his instructions tell his followers to do? Well, there's a lot of things that we could say we could do that are really important. You know, uh, all kinds of stuff we look at and say, well, that's valuable to do, raising children, all this stuff. But in one sentence, Jesus says, with the main thing his followers are to engage their life's activity in. It's verse 15. He says simply, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The most important what to do for your life as his follower is that you would go into all the world and you would preach the gospel. Now, notice that the most important thing isn't, he didn't say go feed the poor. He didn't say build nice church buildings. He didn't say produce nice plays like we're going to do. Think of the energy. A lot of you don't know the amount of energy that's going to go, has been going into getting a bunch of kids together to create a play for December 9th. So you can come in and you can clap. Oh, isn't that cute? Remember last year? Um, I'm the dirty little piggy. That was the greatest thing I've ever seen in a kid's Christmas play. Um, it was awesome, you know? But all the work that went into it, all the energy, and that's wonderful. But that's not what Jesus said the most important thing for us to do is. He said the most important thing is to preach the gospel. Now I think there are some things we need to understand about that because it is our primary activity, but I think it's a really intimidating thing. When we read it and we go, go and preach the gospel to all creation. I think we misunderstand it a lot of times. And so let's think about what that really means. First of all, he says, go and preach. Well, that statement probably makes you a little bit nervous because you're saying this in your seat right now. Well, I'm not like you, Mark. I'm not a preacher. I'm afraid of my own shadow. I'll never get up in front of a crowd. Matter of fact, I don't get this, and I think maybe I said this a different time, um, but I remember reading it one time, and it just shocked me, that the number one fear that people have in the world is public speaking, and they're more afraid of public speaking than they are deaf. So they'd rather die than speak in front of a crowd. Um, And so that's kind of funny, I think. Um, But I understand that. That's intimidating. It says, go and preach. And... You know, it may be true that you will not or have not or do not stand behind a pulpit with a bunch of people staring at you. Think about this. If this morning when you got up and you looked in the mirror, you had to say, oh man, I'm going to have hundreds of people staring at me today. You know? Um, You might never have to do that, stand behind a pulpit. Um, But I want every one of you to understand, every one of you is called to preach. Go like this. Take your finger and point it at your chest. Say, I'm supposed to preach. You see, maybe the reason people tend to get intimidated by this is because they misunderstand what that means. I'm supposed to preach. They misunderstand what gospel preaching is to be. 
You know, we often think that it is what I'm doing right now, standing up behind a group of people and talking about theology, talking about the scriptures. That may be part of preaching, but that's not at all what Jesus is talking about here. That's not at all what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus was referring to here is what the Bible really defines as preaching. It is the proclamation of Christianity to people who do not know Jesus yet. That's what biblical preaching is. It is the proclamation of of what it is to be a Christian to people who don't yet know it yet. It is evangelistic. The commission that He has given you is to tell other people about who Jesus is and what He has done for you. That's preaching. Now, I want to debunk something for us today about this. I think it's absolutely essential. I think there's a misunderstanding about this exact idea in the church. It's rampant today. And it's been propagated by the church. And you've probably heard a statement that says this. You've probably heard a saying that's traditionally been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi that says this. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Who's ever heard that statement before? Hands all over the place. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. It's something that's been said in the church world as long as I've been around the church world. Let me tell you something about that statement. It is absolutely not true. And it is absolutely not from St. Francis of Assisi. He never said it. I did a bunch of research on it. He absolutely never said it. St. Francis of Assisi was from, you know, years and years and years ago, he was a preacher. That's what he was. Um, History says that what he did is he openly promoted preaching. He told his people to go out and preach the gospel. History tells us that he often preached, it says this, research, in up to five villages a day, and it was said of him that he preached to any who gathered to hear the strange but fiery little preacher from Assisi. And that he was sometimes so animated and passionate in his delivery that his feet moved as if he were dancing. He was a little crazy man, they thought, who preached everywhere, up to five times a day. And he preached openly and he encouraged his followers to preach. And here's the point. Nowhere in his writings does anybody ever find him saying, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. As a matter of fact, it's exactly the opposite of what all of his writings teach. Now, you say, why am I making that point today? Because we've all been taught that. A lot of hands went up, but you've heard it in different ways. They say this, oh, they don't know, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. That's true. You can't just preach to somebody standing in a street corner and preaching to strangers is incredibly ineffective. But we're not talking about standing in a street corner and preaching. We're talking about communicating to people, generally people you already know and are in a relationship with, the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. It's about talking to them. And that's why we need to make a point of this today. Because we as, indiv- as people often grab onto things like this for a reason. You heard it one time, you grabbed onto it. You know why you grabbed onto it? Because you liked it. You know why you liked it? Because it removed responsibility from you. It was easy to say, oh, I'll preach the gospel through my actions. I don't have to say a word. Um, and so we grab on to those kinds of things to excuse ourselves from what doing what Jesus said we are to do here in His great commissioning service. He says, go and preach. See, every disciple of Jesus, every single one, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then we, you, 
are to tell other people about Jesus. Every single disciple about Jesus is supposed to tell other people about Jesus. And that's what preaching is. It's not shouting. It's not yelling. It's not standing in front of a people, group of people with a Bible and a, and, a, and a pulpit. It is simply telling other people who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. Um, I'll tell you this. Your preaching probably won't ever be from behind a pulpit. It probably won't ever be on a street corner. Matter of fact, you better know God told you to stand on a street corner because it probably is going to be a horrible experience and it's probably going to do no good unless God told you to do it because there's no relationships built with people. Most likely your preaching will be in quiet tones with a cup of coffee in your hand looking across the table at somebody you already know and love. That's the preaching he's talking about. See, Jesus commissioned each and every one of you to preach to tell others about Jesus with your words. Friends, it is simply impossible to preach the gospel without words. Scripture says, how shall, they, how shall they know unless somebody tells them? Somebody has to tell them the truth of the gospel. That's what preaching is all about. It's the words that we speak. Our life better live it out. Our life better back it up. The worst thing you can do is preach it with your mouth, and then not live it with your life. So we live it with our life, and then we preach it with our mouth. That's what he wants for us. The gospel, friends, is inherently verbal. That's why it's written to you. It's inherently verbal. And preaching the gospel is inherently verbal. It's something you do with your mouth. And so we're supposed to be preachers. So that brings us to an important question. If I'm supposed to say it to other people, am I supposed to tell other people about Jesus, then what are we to say? What are we to preach? What are we to tell other people? And it says this, you are to preach the what? The gospel. Preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. What's that mean? It's pretty simple. The gospel means, the, the word gospel means good news. It's not a, it was not originally a, a term that had anything to do with spiritual, any spiritual meaning. It was basically a herald who would come back from battle and tell, tell news on what happened. The good news. We're winning. That's what, the, that's what the gospel is. One who'd run around and tell people we're winning in battle. And it was a herald who told good news. And so it, it's been Christianized through, the, through Jesus that it's the good news about who Jesus is and what he brings to humankind. You see, in the early New Testament church, they clearly understood what it meant when he said, preach the gospel. Because the, the early church... Um, had in the scriptures we something we see something called the the, the kerygma or the kerygma, the kerygma that word um, means simply this it means missionary preaching, and if you take the New Testament and this is this is what I challenge you to do and look at all the situations in the New Testament where people told about Jesus that's the kerygma you find certain characteristics that are found in all of those examples and if you kind of put them all together and say what are the common things they said when they preached we find that generally there's like five things the kerygma um, entails. That five different elements, so when they preached the gospel, there was generally five different things that they talked about. They talked about the death of Christ. That's why it's all about Jesus. We can, that's why when you try to do, just do good, you just say, oh, I will preach with my actions. This has been the mistake of the, of the denominational church in America for years. That they just go, oh, we're just going to feed the poor. But they never tell them about Jesus. Well, it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do any good to make them live for another couple weeks or months or years if they end up in the end not knowing Christ and not having Christ for eternity. So the kerygma, the, the gospel message, was it included talking about the death of Christ, 
talking about the resurrection of Christ, talking about that the death and resurrection of Christ were in fulfillment of God's prophecy and His plan, that it was always God's plan, talking about that it offers, that the, that the gospel offers forgiveness, and then that there were eyewitnesses to the account. The apostles were eyewitnesses. That people, it actually changed people's lives who were saying it. And that these five things really summarize what we should be telling other people about Jesus. And it's, it sounds kind of complicated, but it's not. It's simply this. We tell them that Jesus came into this world in fulfillment of God's promises to die on the cross and to rise from the dead in order to offer forgiveness of sins to everyone who calls on his name. And you can say, and I know it's real because I'm an eyewitness because it changed my life and it will change yours. So we tell them that Jesus was, is from God, that God promised that he would come and that he would live a life and die on the cross and he'd rise from the dead and that in doing that he, off, he purchased our, our salvation so that we can have our sins forgiven and that I know it's real because he changed my life. That's the gospel. That's preaching the gospel. That's the kerygma that was preached in the, Old Te- in the New Testament over and over and over again. And that's what we're to tell our neighbors about. That's what um, you really, um, if, that, that if you've really met Jesus as an eyewitness, you can say, you know what? When he died on the cross and rose from the dead, he paid the price for mankind's sin. And that your neighbor, your friend, that they can find forgiveness if they will respond to Jesus' tug on their hearts to come to him. That's the gospel message. That is the, the gospel that he said, preach the gospel. So guess what? You don't have to know Hebrew. You don't have to know Greek. You don't have to be a theologian. Matter of fact, the way they talked about the early church, what they did is they gossiped the gospel is what it said. That's what evangelism means. Evangel- the word evangelize means to gossip the gospel. That they gossiped the gospel. They just talked to people wherever they went. They gossiped the gospel. They just told, you know what? Jesus is really real. I've met him in my life. He lived this life and, and he lived it on purpose to be a sacrifice, fulfilling the Old Testament. And that, that now he died and he rose again. And, and by having him in your life, he, he has power over sin in your life and he can remove your sin and, and give you freedom and you can find salvation in him. That's the gospel. And you say, I know it's real because it happened in me. That's what he wants to come out of your mouth. He wants us to say it. To people, not strangers generally, people you're in relationship with. Not pounding your Bible, but just explaining to people, this is who Jesus is, and this is what he's done in my life. You know, it's the mission Jesus gave to all of us to do. And according to verse 15, it says we are responsible to tell everyone everywhere. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. That's why we support world missions. Because guess what? I can't go to every place missionaries can go, but I can help people get there. That's why when, when as a church we say, you know, we believe in, in raising money and sending people around the world, it's because Jesus in his last words said to us, it's your responsibility. Here's your job. He said, it's not an option. It's why we're responsible to tell our coworkers and our friends and our neighbors about Jesus. Because Jesus said to his disciples, here's my, here's my mission that I have you to accomplish with your life. It's your main thing. He says, you know what, when you're 45 years old, 48 years old, and you say, you know what, what's it all about? What's my real purpose in life? He reminds us. He goes, you know what your purpose in life is? All that other stuff might be important, but your ultimate purpose, go and preach 
the gospel to those who don't know it. So that's the that's the the what or the, the, the what the what the, the um, gospel what the commission is. But Jesus didn't stop right there. He didn't stop when he just said, "There's the what of the of the commission." He goes on to tell us more. He goes on to say, "But why do you have to do it?" Because he gives us a job to do. And here's here's what we do oftentimes, and I think it's I think it's all right. I think it's probably normal. When somebody says to do something, we ask this question. We say, why? Tell your kid, clean your room. Why? Parents, you ever hear that? Why? It's pretty normal. Jesus understands we're normal. He didn't just give us a job to do and say, well, just do it because I said so. He didn't do that. Parents, bad way to say, because I said so. Because I said so is not a good answer. It breeds rebellion in your kids. You explain it to them. Why? Because your room should be clean. This is why. Da, 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 da. And so he tells us why. Of all the things in the world we should commit our lives to, that we should commit our lives to going and preaching the gospel. And it's found in verse 16. Look at verse 16. He says, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Now, this does not really take a whole lot of explaining, doesn't it? He who believes the gospel that we preach, that Jesus gave, shall be saved eternally. But he who disbelieves shall be condemned eternally. This is why the primary mission that Jesus gave to us is to tell others that they can find forgiveness in the resurrected Christ. Because it's the only way that someone can be spiritually and eternally saved and ultimately that's all God cares about. For people to come to know Him as Savior. That's the term, saved. That's the term that Jesus used. I've heard people say to me, well, I don't like that term. I don't like that term, saved. And I look at them and I say, I don't really care. (laughs) Jesus said it. (laughs) Jesus liked it enough to preach it. Jesus said, that's His term, you need to be Saved, it means that there's some, something that you're lost, you're, you're in danger, and you need to be saved from the danger. He's the one who said we need to be saved. Um, now, come to this point and I say, wow, what a downer on Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving season. Talking about this, this uh, um, responsibility to tell this to everybody. Otherwise, they're, they're damned, is what he's saying. Um, but I want you to honestly understand what Jesus is saying here. That those who believe the gospel will be saved. That it's positive. Those who believe the gospel will be saved. Those who disbelieve will be condemned. But those who believe the gospel will be saved. It applies to every single person you stood in line with for a Black Friday deal at Walmart or Kohl's or wherever you went Thursday night or Friday morning and stood in line. The person on either side of you, it applies to them. It applies to every single person you sat at the table with and ate turkey with on Thursday. If they believe the gospel, they will be saved. If they disbelieve, they will be condemned. The only one thing that really matters in this life is does a person really believe the gospel or not. And only one thing that matters in our life after coming to Jesus, are we telling others the truth or are we just pretending? And so we say this to ourselves, I'm preaching without words. Preach the gospel and use words if necessary. That's why that's not true. We've got to ask ourselves, am I really preaching the gospel? It's a matter of life or death. Jesus says, 
It's a matter of heaven or hell here. He said, understand, we're not responsible for whether or not a person believes. We are responsible for clearly and lovingly telling the truth of the gospel so that other people have a chance to believe or disbelieve. Do you see the difference? I can't, I don't ever badger somebody. I don't ever beat them over the head. I don't ever argue with them. If they want to argue, I just say, you know, I'm not going to argue with you about these things, but I'll tell you the truth. Arguing doesn't do any good. Tell them the truth, then live the truth. There's a huge difference. We tell them the truth, and if they believe, that's up to them. Between them and God. See, that's why Jesus' main mission for us is to preach the gospel to all the world, because it's all about eternity. So he says, what is it? It's preach the gospel. Why do we do it? Because it's about eternity. But friends, there's another part, and Jesus put it in here as the very final thing he talked about in the gospel. He told us what, he told us why, but then he tells us what's going to happen if we do it. Um, the wow factor of preaching the gospel. Look at, look at John or um, um, Mark, starting in verse 17, 17 to 20 talks about this great responsibility, but then he says the most miraculous thing you can ever encounter in your entire life will happen to you if you listen to him and follow what he tells you to do with your life. He says, and these signs will accompany those who believed. In my name they will cast out demons, and they will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by signs that followed. And they promptly reported all these instructions to Peter and to his companions. And after that, Jesus himself sent out through them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. Jesus said, you know what, guys? He said there would be amazing evidence, amazing signs that will accompany you if you believe and if you preach my word, you will see amazing things. He said in his name, in his authority, you will have power. What's he say? Power over satanic evil? You'll cast out demons. You will have spiritual gifts in operation through you? You'll speak in other tongues. That you will have divine protection. He says you'll, you'll um, drink deadly poison if it's on accident. You'll have, f- handle serpents if it has to happen. You'll have, you will have divine protection in preaching the gospel. And you will have empowered prayer. He said you'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. In verse 20 that we just read says this. And all the rest of the New Testament validates it. All of church history validates it. It says that these things, these signs and wonders and miracles, have accompanied those who believe. And in this very room, there are stories of people overcoming evil strongholds. Tuesday night was a great service. Tuesday night was talking about these very things happening. People overcoming strongholds, evil strongholds in their lives. We have examples in this very room of people being miraculously healed. We have examples in this very room of the Holy Spirit's gifts working in our lives and stories of divine protection. Friends, if we preach the gospel... The wow factor exists. The, the, the thing that so many people err in in their Christian life is they just try to live this internalized, intellectual Christianity and they say, well, then they're trying to debate theirs against somebody else's and they end up generally debating with other believers about I'm right, you're wrong, and I'm saying, guess what? You're missing the point. He said, go preach the gospel to all the world and when you do, signs and wonders will flow through you. 
And he says, the reality, my reality will be present, not in getting together here as a group of Christians on Sunday morning and, and speaking about the gospel. His signs and wonders and miracles will happen in your life as when you leave here today, you tell your neighbor, you tell your friend, you tell your coworker, you tell your family member the gospel. You open your mouth and you say, here's what Jesus did in my life. And then they go, they go well, I'm struggling with this. And you say, can I pray for you? And they say, yes, would you please pray for me? I've never had a person say, don't pray for me. They pray for you and God does something miraculous. And you go, wow, this is really real. So the second half of your life when you're saying, is this all there is? Guess what? What there can be is this incredible power of God operating in your life, this exciting life where you go, I don't know what miracle God's going to do next. And it makes all the difference in the world. It goes from in here to a life here, filled in your heart and expressed through your hands. And you go, that's, what I, that's worth living for. Friends, that is worth living for. The power of the Holy Spirit's activity is closely tied to the proclamation of the gospel. If you want to have a supernatural existence, begin to tell the gospel to other people. If you think you're going to experience a supernatural by getting in your holy huddle and just praying for each other, I'm going to tell you, you can experience something, but it's generally not the presence of God. The presence of God is generally associated in scriptures with people pro- proclaiming the gospel to people who don't know it yet. And when we do that, God delights in showing people that he's real. And that's what he wants to do through you. And that's what he wants to do through me. See, I want to see signs and wonders and miracles. And if you want to see signs and wonders and miracles, guess what? Start telling other people who don't know Jesus about Jesus. And then pray for them. Guess what? You don't need to have Rev in front of your name to pray for somebody. Every one of you is a priest. If you have Jesus in your heart, he says you are a kingdom of priests. He's empowered you by his spirit so that you can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Notice he said to all of the disciples, that's you and that's me and that's everybody, go into the world and preach the gospel. He says, and these signs will accompany you if you preach. You will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You will speak in new tongues. You, if, if, the, if the enemy attacks you through whatever, trying to poison you or whatever, you will be recovered. You will, you will not be hurt. He says the, the miracles that God has in store for you are tied to you telling your kids and your neighbors and your friends and your family members and your co-workers about Jesus. That's when the supernatural comes. That's when we understand and go, wow, living for Jesus is the most exciting thing in the world. If you are bored by Christianity, I promise you this, you're not telling anybody about Jesus. I guarantee it. I don't mean to, to, to single them out, but I just thought of this right now. I, I love Ray and Jerry. One thing I love about Ray, I go to, anytime I go to his shop, I walk, somebody always walks in the door and he goes, this is my pastor. He starts talking about Jesus. You spend any time with Ray, and guess what? He doesn't think Christianity is boring. Because he's always telling somebody about Jesus. It's not boring when you're telling somebody about Jesus. It's risky. You're risking relationships. I'm not saying being dumb. He lives it first. You live it first. You let the reality flow through you first. And then you take chances. You say, you know what? I think I'm going to tell my neighbor. You know, we've been always working with our neighbors and our one, one, one neighbors on the one side, these two gals who live in the house. First time ever. OCS apple pies. Thank the Lord for OCS apple pies because we always buy them for our neighbors. And we bake them and we give them away. And so we, Suzanne had a day the other day and she baked all the pies and all our neighbors got pies. We didn't even get one. And uh, she baked them, she gave them away and first time ever, the neighbors invited her into their house. Never happened before. We've been with, they've been neighbors for three years almost. We've been working on it and working on them and working on them and working on them. They invited her into the house for the first time. 
Why? Because we're loving on them. We're trying to look, make, build the relationship so we have the opportunity to speak the gospel. We give them little cards all the time at Thanksgiving telling them about Jesus. You know, and I think right now they tolerate them. One of these days, they're gonna, it's going to affect their life. We're going to keep on investing and keep on investing. And eventually, we're going to invite them to something. It's not time yet. We're going to invite them to something. At the right time, we're going to share the gospel with them. But you know what? It's all an investment with the, with the understanding that there's a day you've got to take the risk. There's a day you've got to open your mouth. Don't believe the lie that says preach the gospel and use words if necessary. The gospel is words. We speak the words. But you do it based on a life of love and a life of service for other people. And you will see, if you will do that, your life will be exciting. It will be powerful. And signs and wonders will flow through your life. I promise you. Not because of me. I promise you because Jesus' departing words in the Gospel of Mark. We spent a year looking at it. His final words to you and me is go into all the world and preach the Gospel. And if you do, he said, signs and wonders and miracles will flow in your life. And so God says, I want to prove to the world that I am real. He loves to do it. What a way for the Gospel of Mark to conclude. Jesus' promises to minister through us supernaturally as we spread his message. And that surely brings us to a couple of things as we close today. Number one, we'll have an opportunity in a minute. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Today is a day to ask him into your life. And then we're going to close, as we close our service, just have an opportunity if you need prayer today. He says, these signs will accompany those who believe. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We're going to just have a chance for, for us to pray with you today. So would you stand with me this morning? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much that we have had the opportunity this last year plus to journey as the disciples did through the events that you led them into. Times where you fed thousands of people with a lunch. Times that you were misunderstood. Times that you corrected your people. That time that you told Peter, you called him Satan. He said, get behind me because you're not looking at this from God's point of view, but from man's. The times that you wrapped your arms around people and, and told the crowd to be quiet so you could heal somebody. All the times that you pr- spoke truth even though people didn't understand it. When you died for our sins, we saw it. And when you rose from the dead, we celebrated all these things that we've got to witness. And now, God, we've come to this last day in the Gospel of Mark. And we find that you it's not an ending at all. It's a beginning. And you're telling us now that you've walked with me. Now go do something about it. 